I was sitting back down at the foyer and this family were leaving and they said, thank you very much. And they were leaving and I noticed that the dad of the family had a carrier bag and inside the carrier bag was uh, a Dungeons and Dragons starter box, a monster manual, a DM's guide and a player's book. And effectively what happened was they'd gone upstairs, seen the role playing thing and their daughter, who I think would have been 10, 11, or want to try it because she'd seen it on Stranger Things, you know. Um, so there was an open space at a table. She sat down and three hours later, dad walks out having spent about £100 worth on D&D stuff so his, his kid could play D&D. And nobody in the family had ever looked at a board game or role-playing game before that point in time. Alright, welcome to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Uh, a couple of years ago, I attended an event in Perth that was called Tabletop Scotland. Uh, it was 2019, and uh, this summer, time of recording, the 27th and 28th of August 2022, it's happening once again at Jure Centre in Perth. I'm joined by John, who's one of the organisers. How are you, John? I'm right, nice to meet you, nice to see you, Matthew, and hello listeners out there, uh, fellow gamers all. Yeah, so um, we're going to talk a wee bit about the, the event itself and, and why people might want to go along if they're able, and also a, a bit about, I think, the importance of, um, because it's great doing stuff like this, getting on online and having a chat and listening to podcasts, but you you really can't beat getting in person, um, playing games with people, meeting people face to face, so I'd like to kind of touch on that as well, but just to get to know you a wee bit, John, um, well firstly I like to, to ask people, are you, you working on anything hobby related at the moment, are you painting anything, or is your time all taken up with the event? So um, that you've you opened the can of worms there that everyone will laugh at. So um, in terms of hobby wise, right now I am staring at the Horace Heresy thinking do I I'd step into that breach once more, having been there, seen it, done it, sold it, as you do. Um, um, Age of Sigmar is my is my major jam for the, has been for most of the last five six years since whenever they launched it. And before that, massive into fantasy um, painting. No, absolutely under no circumstances will you convince me that painting is not a task sent by the devil or whoever you believe in, <laughs> to punish people. I I famously, in all the circles I move in, John does not paint. You so is it, a, is, it a, is it a grey a grey army then, or do you get something oh, else no, to do? Oh, no, no, I, I get a, a commission, I ask people, I beg, borrow, steal, I trade, I barter, you name it, I will do anything required to have a painted army on a table, particularly if I'm at a tournament or something. But quite frankly, I can think of nothing that I would hate more in the world than have to paint an army myself. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting, yeah. but it's, it's actually good to, to hear from someone that thinks that way, just because it's, you know, I'm, I'm in amongst, if I could say the word, um, people that, that like to do it. So has that always been yeah, that oh, way no, for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, genuinely, it's it's I cannot think of anything I would like to do less in the world. I, I get why people love it. I absolutely see it and having been to hundreds nay thousands of events having been to warhammer 
tournaments, Age of Sigma tournaments, 40k tournaments, having been to bolt action tournaments, Flames of War tournaments. You name a miniatures game, I've seen models from that game. I've been there, I've played a lot of games over the years. I've seen some of the best armies by the best painters in the world. There are models out there that I, I genuinely am fascinated by when I look at them. But frankly, I just don't want to do it. I cannot stand it. Um, and And for me, and this is a totally personal thing, I think that's exactly and why we have such a good hobby. Because for, for me, I hate it and it's the worst thing in the world. But there are people I know and there are people I've seen who painting is is the greatest thing they have ever done in their life. You know, it's 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 their reason detra. There's a friend of mine, um, a guy called Riath, um, who he owns a, a hobby shop in uh, Aberdeen, actually, tabletop minis in Aberdeen. And um he paints some of the stuff he paints is fantastic. He's won a golden demon. And a few years ago, in fact, it was 2018, myself, my big brother, and a friend of uh, my big brother, Simon, who's also involved in Tabletop Scotland, um, and a friend of ours, John Laurie, um, who plays Vents 40k, etc. John was playing in the 40k um, finals at Warhammer Fest. I was going down with my big brother, um, Humblebrag time to get a Warhammer Hero Award for myself. Um, and um, while we were there, Riath was there, and he was entering models into Golden Demon. Um, and he won a Golden Demon for a Thunderhawk he painted. And I've, to this day, I still don't understand how he made this bit of grey plastic and resin that came from Forge World look like it looked like. Um, and he painted a, um, a Imperial Fist's Oh, what's it called? Storm Raven? Not Storm Raven. Flyer. Um, Space Marine Flyer thing for me. And I've got it behind me. I can't remember what it's called. Um, he painted one of them for me. I don't understand it. I handed it to him. It was great. It came back yellow. It looks like it's got scorch marks on it. It's got like a million different colours on it. it. Looks fantastic. I don't understand it, but I watched him paint it and, I, and he sent me a video of him painting it and he looked as happy as it's possible to be. And I thought, that's hell on earth. And that's the great thing about this hobby. The hobby we all love is because you get people, you get everything. You get people for, I know people that don't even play games. All they do is paint models. I know people that play games and barely paint models. I know I'm an extremely tiny minority of people, but I refuse to touch models with paintbrushes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you've got to know what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. That's how you get the best from it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's all about that. And, and that's the great thing is there's so many shades of colour but so many shades of what people like out of their hobby it's untrue Sounds like you've got a big background with the, the Games Workshop games then is, is that yeah. something you got into when you were young? Yeah um, I, and I've told the story sorry, my first game I ever played was the Horus Heresy but not the Horus Heresy um, people of a, an older persuasion people like me who are old enough to remember the dinosaurs almost um would remember that there was a series of games that Games Workshop released in the 80s and 90s, board games effectively, where they used, instead of models and miniatures, it was cardboard tokens, um, like then the various different ones. And one of them was the Horus Heresy board game. Um, and it's basically a map of a big chunk of terror with the Imperial Palace. You've got these stacks of cardboard tokens that represent the different armies and the legions and Horus and the Emperor and the vengeful spirit in space and 
effectively you recreate the battle, you recreate the invasion of Terra, the actual siege itself. And this was a board game that Games Workshop released in 1992. Um, and I still have it. it. I'm literally looking at it right now and it's black box on a shelf next to me. So when I was 13, back in 1992, I went, I had, as it was released in 92, I know I bought it in 92, I can't remember exactly when it was released. Um, I got my birthday money. I was 13, I had birthday money. And I was I was going to uh, a shop in Dunfermline, where we were the same one with, went with me. And then I was planning on buying model railway stuff because it was a shop that sold model railway stuff AFX kits on one side and on the other side it sold these it sold fishing supplies fishing tackle and stuff so I went in looked at all the train stuff and there was this rack of paint and boxes full of stuff bright and garish it's early 90s so you know you have if you know early 90s GW it's bright red and it's garish and on this rack was this box with Horace Heresy run on it and I'm like I'm having that so I bought it my birthday money took it home me and my brother un unboxed it, unwrapped it, punched all the cards, played it, and that was it. Um, a board game, of all things. Um, and we still have it. We still play it occasionally. Um, once every three, four months, we have a go of it. And Simon's about three, four hundred games ahead of me on the leaderboard. There's a bit of paper in it, which is a running tally of all the games we've ever played. So we've been playing the same board game about literally for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And he's massively ahead of me. And with, with that new, I, I know very little about it apart from hearing it on a couple of podcasts mentioned, but there's the new Horus Heresy stuff out now. What's your thoughts on that, if you've looked into it at all? Oh, it's um, it looks amazing. I mean, the, 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 the actual models, the plastic itself is just fantastic. There's, for all anyone might criticise them, the one thing GW genuinely are the best in the business at is the quality of their kits. It's staggeringly good. Um I mean, I've 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 got models in my Imperial Fist army that are almost thirty years old, if not older. Um, as you can see, a clear evolution in the quality of the product they're making. But you look at some of the stuff they produce these days, Forge World and Normal GW. The quality of the model is unbelievable. If you look at what the the first metal things I was buying thirty years ago. You wouldn't imagine that what you could build now. I mean, you look at some of the stuff they produce in plastic and it's staggering. Um, I've not had a chance to play it yet. Um, I've not even bothered buying it yet for various different reasons, mostly to do with time and effort. But um, from what I've seen and heard, it's a, a massive step in the right direction for Horace Heresy. And the chances are, if it's as good as I've heard, I'll go back to playing it at some point. Finding time, not sure about that, but actually playing it, you know, definitely. It looks great. Absolutely looks fantastic. So I guess uh, one of the big questions for this episode, how does somebody go um, from being like involved in the, the, the gaming and stuff like that to thinking, let's organise a let's organise a national event <laughs> around the hobby? So how, how does that come about? Um, outright stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> um, masochism. Uh, no, uh, well, um, it's a... Uh, accumulation of years of stuff i suppose my um so like i've mentioned my brother simon already uh him myself we're part of a gaming club in dunfermline dunfermline war gaming and role-playing fellowship with dwarf which is probably one of the largest clubs in Scotland, if not the largest club in scotland and it's a big club i mean um pre-pandemic because it's 
ruined a lot of things and it's definitely affected us unfortunately it's not ruined but affected pre-pandemic we would regularly get between 60 and 70 a night at the club on a friday night um you know playing every kind of war game card game role-playing game board game under the sun um you know, were you meeting re- in like a community center or yeah that? meeting in a community center in Dunfermline. i mean we would take in a community center in Dunfermline, we would basically fill a community center in Dunfermline, a big hall which would capable of holding you know um all in you're looking at if we were to pack the place which we've done on many occasion for tournaments and events and stuff we would probably you could easily fit 200 people in playing games um uh, with uh, the right tables, the right setup. I mean, you didn't want it to be unpleasant. We sort of, the most we ever had in one day was about 125, and that was fun. Um, so active members of a club, and then another friend of ours, Dave, uh, who's, uh, Dave Wright is one of the tournament convent uh, organisers with myself, and Simon, he, um, he regular the club, he used to own a gaming shop in Kakodi called Kingdom of Adventure, um, and he'd always been actively involved in other more role-playing and board game groups, um, board gaming groups. And then uh, sort of we would run events at the club, Dwarf. Um, we would run tournaments. We would run uh, Saturday sessions, all-day sessions on Saturdays. Um, various different, you're ranging from half a dozen people to our biggest event, which would be Winter War, which we'd have uh, over 100 people playing multiple game systems at the same time. Um, so... We used to, we did all that sort of stuff and Dave organised his own things and sort of, you know, we knew each other and Dave had the shop and then we got talking about it and it just turned out that we all had roughly the same idea of what we wanted to see in Scotland. And the thing is, there was a massive hole in the market, I say market, I'm business head on, um, a massive hole in what's available for people to do in Scotland. Um, if you go south, you know, if you go south of the border, if you go into England, you know, starting at UK Games Expo, you've got this massive, huge, multi-day, uh, multiple tens of thousands of people attending this massive gaming event, um, a gaming exhibition. You know, we're talking board game, every type of gaming under one roof with all the manufacturers, all the games companies. Um, and it's a trade show slash public show. Then you've got events that aren't as big like Aircon and Harrogate, which is 5,000 plus people. A dragon meet down south, um, and then you get a bit smaller. Um, and these events are happening you know, every weekend, every other weekend, all across big chunks of England. Um, and further afield, you've got things like Essen in Germany, which is this huge industry-wide convention. And then you've got uh, Gen Con in India, and Dave will love it when I say Gen Con, because he's going again this year. You've got Gen Con in Indiana, I said India, Indiana, which is you know a week of gaming on a scale and all the events on a scale you wouldn't even achieve in the UK. Um, you're looking at a number, six-digit attendee figures. Nothing like that in Scotland. You've got get events of a decent size. Um, you know, you've got 500, 600, etc., but nothing that reaches that big level of all these various interlinked hobbies in one space for a weekend. And we thought, we can do that. So we gave it a crack. Mm. And we did. When, when was worked. the first year that you did 2018. it? 2018. So we, 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 it took us about two and a half years prep to get to the point. And then, if so the first event was August 2018. So prior to that, we'd been working on it for about two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. 
And then 2019 was the second event. 2020 should have been the third year, but less said about that, the better. And yeah. Then 2021, yeah. And then this year. So it's only the third year we've been running it, but realistically, we'd expected this to have been year five, but it's really year three. Mm-hmm. And I suppose with events, like you, you get your first year and you'll learn an infinite oh, amount of stuff and then your massive. second year you'll come back a lot better so like having yeah. done it a few years now I, I suppose there'll be a lot of things that you that you kind of anticipate and plan for that yeah you the stuff you think. pick up on is weird i mean um stuff we thought we'd have major problems with didn't happen stuff we thought would be as easy as pie turned into nightmares um i think what helped is that we we went in with open open eyes. Um, we knew what we we knew from we made a point. The reason why it took us so long to even run the event in the first place was we spent a lot of time doing a lot of research. Um, we went to dozens of venues across Scotland. We looked at all the places everyone would think of, and then a few you wouldn't even know exist. Um, and we kind of and it's my fault. I will take the blame on this. We kind of almost didn't look at the place in Perth, the Jewish centre that we're in. They have these two big halls. Um, and funnily enough, for about, I don't know, 20 years now, even longer, every year, my dad and I would go to the venue, the Jewish centre, for the Perth Model Railway Exhibition. And I never thought about it. And we'd been and looked at places in Edinburgh and Glasgow and Dundee and Aberdeen and you name it, hotels, conference centres, everything like that. And then randomly one day david's wife uh fiona says oh have you thought about this place in paris that i go to a, a knitting show or a woolen show a knitting craft fair thing he's like no and he goes there and he's like oh they've got a mother exhibition. i'm like i've been there for the mother exhibition and dave's like you what yeah i've been there dozens of times really but yes we went and looked at it and it turns out it's pretty much perfect in mm-hmm. almost every respect um the the only issue is well, what we thought would be an issue is that it's perth but it turns out it's a great place for people in Scotland to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very central. It, yeah, it's basically 45 minutes from everywhere, a bit further from some places, but ultimately, yeah. Um, and it's not a huge, bigger get than Edinburgh or Glasgow from people from further afield. You know, people that are um, you know, coming from parts of England or even further afield. We've, got, we've, we've sold tickets to France, and Germany and Italy and Spain and America and Canada, Japan. Um, and it's not a huge move from Glasgow or Edinburgh to Perth. So mm-hmm. it's great in that respect. Um, and they're a really nice bunch of people. They're really welcoming. They, they, they're, they, we, they were amazed at how popular it was, and they've been nothing but cooperative and fantastic and helpful over the years. They really have been. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now back to the show. For me, when I went to the 2019 event, I, I sort of I say dragged my wife along. She was pretty up for it. Uh, she likes Perth, so um, we uh, went there, and I'd, I'd just got back into the whole thing. So, like you know, I did um, a lot of the games workshop stuff as a kid in the 90s, and had been out it for a, a long, long time, and was kind of tentatively getting back in. So I turned up with 
I didn't know what to expect um, because I knew very little about all the other games and stuff like that. So it was ju- it just gave me a lot of enthusiasm walking around, seeing just how much variety there was and games that were completely outside my wheelhouse. You know, the types of games I wouldn't have thought of ever trying and stuff like that. So I just I, I had a really good time. So that's um, why I'm I'm really that's looking good. forward to so going to going back. What- what we were trying, what we've tried to do is we've tried to be as broad a spectrum of gaming as we can be. Um, I mean, we, we have to a certain extent, there's a couple of things we don't want to do. Um, we're not, a, um, we're not a computer gaming, you know, what we classically call computer gaming. It's not console gaming or laptop or PC gaming. It's not that type of gaming. It's tabletop gaming. It's board games and card games and RPGs. We very much have focused deliberately on role-playing games and board gaming. Um, And there's a reason for that. And it's because in Scotland, there are actually some extremely good, in particular, wargaming events already. You've got um, like Targe and Skelp and Carinade, Carinade in Falkirk, for for example, that are brilliant wargaming events. Um, You know, as a club at Dunfermline, we... So if we go to these events, we put on displays, we put on uh, demonstration games and participation games every year for wargaming. But what Scotland didn't have was a large-scale uh, gaming event that covered these other things. So we focused on role-playing games and board gaming. Um, and then card gaming to a certain extent. This year, we're trying to expand that portfolio. We're, we're adding much more wargaming elements. Um, it's a running conversation in our team uh those the, the group of us that run it must I say um dave i mentioned before he is very much a a role player and a board gamer um brother simon he's much more eclectic he'll play role-playing games board gaming war gaming etc if it's interesting to him he'll do it i am a war gamer historically you know for me i like a six by four or whatever size models scenery, dice, let's have a battle. Um, and, and the elements of that, you know, and and there's a maths involved in it. There's an economical maths uh, as well about how you get people in the door, what needs they have, what they're interested in, what, what will attract them to the event. Um, so, you know, if we're putting up a row of tables, we need to fill those seats on those tables and you can, frankly, you can get a lot more people playing board games and role-playing games in a space than you can get war gamers. Um, whereas, and now we've learned a few lessons this year, we're actually having dedicated war gaming space at the convention, which we've not done before. Um, and it's been a bit of a, a back and forward, shall we say. We have debates about it all the time. Uh, but what we've noticed certainly is the overlap is getting bigger and more obvious, shall we say. Um, you tend to find you get very few people that exclusively just do one thing these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yourself, you say you play Warhammer, you play 40k, you play Games Workshop games. But I can almost guarantee that you play other stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I mean, I know people that, I mean, at our club in Dunfermline, you'll have people that one week they'll be playing 40k the next week they were playing magic the week after they'll be playing a role-playing game D or you know um you name it uh and then the week after they might be playing another 
game. You've got people that like just playing war games and they play 25 flavours of war game. So there's this huge overlap and it's just finding that right balance. And it's a trick. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've got stuff wrong with it. But I think what we're seeing is, is by offering that diversity of choice, it works. On the on the website, I had a wee look earlier. So, like, just looking at some of the stuff Don't that's available, that. we've got a <laughs> we've got a hobby craft. Uh, so that's yeah. maybe for yourself, John. Some painting tutorials. You could <laughs> finally come round to that way. Thank great so. bunch of great bunch, of fantastic people who are running that and looking after that and taking care of people. Uh, you, you literally couldn't. I mean, you could. I mean, there will be an amount. I mean, if you turn up with enough money, you could pay me to do that. Um, you won't get anything good out of it, but you could pay me. <laughs> uh, no, that's I, I, not for me. Yeah, we, I mean, we've got, um, yeah, I mean, we've got that, which is the Hobbycraft stuff. So that grew out of um, the first, 2018, we had nothing. Um, 2019, we had uh, um, uh, David and Nick, the, the guys that are running it. Um, they um, they turned up with, they had a little table, you know, a six by four, roughly, um, and they were, guiding people through stuff and it went really well so this year um we've managed to they've agreed to do some 90 minute tutorials um where they're taking models from basically undercoated uh, primed models to the finished product um and it's sponsored by claymore castings as well so they've come on board as a sponsor for that which is pretty cool what what about the play test zone? Is that um, a, a section for like game creators to have their to yeah? Have no, that that through? that's fantastic. Um, we um, what we ask is anyone who's exactly that. If you've got a game and you want to see how it how the public and how how people react to it, that's what it's for. Um, you know, we've had uh, um, people. Uh, in fact, in 2018 and 2019, uh, a couple of different game designers have come along with play test versions, and they've um actually turned those and you know they've taken the the experience from tabletop scotland and used that as part of producing and uh releasing actual physical games that have gone to the world out at large and turned into successful products that they've they've actually sold to the public um which has been really good to see tabletop uh, you know play testing is um it's it's a great resource for them, but it also gives people a chance to be involved in something that they can effectively relate or buy. It's a clever thing. I, there, there's a few people signed up for it in terms of running playtests, and we're always looking for people to, to join in. Um, so if you, anyone out there listening thinks, well, I've got an idea for a game, it's not too late to sign up. Um, you need to be able to, you need to have a game for people to play, remember. You can't just turn up and go, I've got an idea. It's actually testing the thing that you've already developed or you've already started developing. Um, and the people that do it love it. Um, and we've got a couple of things already lined up for that. And it's being run by um, a chap called Keith uh, McLaren from a games company called Cardboard and Coffee Games. Um, and Keith's a nice guy, guy and he's run other games there in the past as well. Um, he used he did play testing for a couple of his games that have subsequently gone on to be released through Kickstarter as well. So that's good. If if somebody's going along, like how do you know? Because there's it looks like there's an open gaming section. Say I, I went along and I was like, I really fancy a quick game of Rangers of Shadow Deep. Would that be possible? Oh yeah, totally. So open gaming is the um, open gaming is the generic term we use to describe 
tables and chairs that you can turn up to and use to your heart's content. Um, and it's basically, if you want to play a game, that's your space to do it. It's just rows and rows of tables laid out in such a way that you can turn up with your friends and family, or even if you don't have any friends and family with you, or if you do and you want more players, you can get a players wanted sign or help wanted sign, um, uh, and or teacher wanted sign, and play games to your heart's content. And it, and it, it varies. Um, We've had groups turn up where, and you'll see it yourself, and you may have seen it when you were in 2019, and if you've been to any of these conventions, people turn up quite literally with trolleys, suitcases full of games, board games and card games and stuff. Um, they rock up, they find themselves a table, a group of you know, two, four, six, eight, whatever, 15 people. Um, they pick a row, they sit down, they get out their board games or whatever they're playing, and they sit from 10 o'clock in the morning, well, we open it, doors open at nine, on the Saturday, and they will literally come in, do their ticket, walk into the hall, pick a table, sit down, and they will sit there till 11 o'clock at night when we kick them out, just playing games all day. That's it. That's their weekend. They've paid for their ticket to the convention, and all they plan on doing is getting together with their friends, their family, the people they want to play with, and they just play games. And then they just do it all over again on the Sunday. And the only time they leave the table is to go to the toilet or to go to the bar or to get something to eat. Or you get people that come along and they'll look at the events, they'll look at the exhibitors, they'll look at the um, they'll look at the traders we've got, they'll buy a game and go literally. And in fact, it's I've done it myself at a convention. I did it myself at Aircon and Harrogate and March earlier this year. I went down with... Uh, myself and Simon and a few friends, we went down to Aircon in Harrogate, which is another gaming convention. And quite literally, after I'd done the stuff I planned on doing and speaking to a few people at Tabletop Scotland, I went and bought games. I bought a couple of games and went, bought a couple of games, went and got some dinner on the Saturday, went back to a table and literally unboxed the games, played them there and then, read the rules, played them there and then put them back in my bag, took them to the hotel room, and then the Sunday morning, bought a couple more games and did the exact same thing again. Um, and that's what open gaming is about. It's basically a big space where you can come along and play. And it's up to you to provide the game. To a certain extent, we also have our games library. I don't know if you saw that on the website. No, um, what we have... So. Yeah. So what we have is alongside this sort of uh, situation where people will bring along their own games. Um, so you, you say people will turn up with a bag full of board games or a, a suitcase or an, in one case a few years ago, I'm almost entirely certain it was a pickup truck and it had about, it had, it had more games than most shops in it. Um, turn up, play games. But what we do is we have a library and the games library is, exactly what it says on the tin. It's, uh, we bring in from various different sources, including our own collections, games that the convention owns itself, and a few other people that, that are kind enough to let us borrow their games, a library of board games that you can go along and effectively, you pay a deposit, £10, you get a library card, and you can take the game out of the library, take it to a table, play it, and bring it back when you're done. This is maybe a moribund question given what we've just talked about, but what what do you think are the key benefits of in-person stuff? Because a, a lot of folks might, especially after the last couple of years, they might think, you know, I've got my pal that I play with and why would I go to like a big event or that? Um, um, apart from, uh, you know, watching your enemy vanquished, 
be vanquished in front of you, you mean? Um, it, it's an intangible. I mean, there's no... I, I, I play games to socialise. Don't get me wrong, I play games, I would say, to win, but anyone who's played me knows that. It's not necessarily true. Um, I'd like to win, but it's not... I'm, I'm not claiming any great skill in almost anything I play. Um, I think it's the fact that ultimately we are social beings. I mean, that are I know very few people genuinely who do not on some level want to socially interact with other people. And it's that, it's it's the fact that in-person gaming is seeing people you know, sometimes you love, sometimes you don't love, and actually interacting with them and doing the thing that you communitively enjoy. I don't know if that's a word. Everyone enjoys a particular aspect of gaming. Um, whether it is board games or card games or role-playing games, one of the things that we we focused on every year and we really work hard on is the role-playing game aspect of it. Now, I, if you'd gone back 15 years ago, role-playing games for me were just something I saw people do occasionally. But now, I can't get enough of it. Um, as I've changed over the years, DMing games, playing in games... Um, you know, on, I play on a Tuesday, every other Tuesday night, I have an online uh, Dungeons & Dragons game uh, that I play in myself. A few people I know, Dave DMs it, um, Simon plays in it, um, and I love playing it online. I, I've never actually done a D&D game in person. Um, my in-person gaming is normally board gaming or war gaming. And now... Um, Age of Sigmar Soulbound, which is the Age of Sigmar RPG from a company called Cubicle 7. Um, and I DM that, and we've got a campaign running at the club, a group of us running at the club. But it's just actually being with people and doing something you enjoy, and that they enjoy. Um, you know, I don't know anyone that would deliberately go to a place where they're doing something they don't enjoy with people who don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But going somewhere, doing something that you want to do with people who are just as invested in it, it just makes everyone happier. Um and and I think that's what it's all about. It's people with a shared interest doing something they enjoy. And for us, as a, a team running the convention and as a people, it's a business. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a business. We There's a limited company and we run it as a business. Um, but there's a moment, and it happened in 2018, it happened in 2019, there's a moment where we could actually stand together and watch people doing it and go, that's what it's all about. It's hard to describe it, but there's a you know it when you see it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you get um like how much opportunity in the day do you get to like do you do you ever get to have a wee game or that or are you too busy? <laughs> no. Oh no, the list of things that go wrong and cause no end of frustration and pain is inevitable. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's ironically enough. If you actually want to go to a, a gaming convention, don't run your own. Um, go to other people's and watch them have panic attacks. Um, this year, I will be spending a grand total of about an hour running, uh, give or take. I mean, it's an hour scheduled for an hour, but it'll probably be slightly under that. I'm running a, a I'm doing one of the panels this year. We mm-hmm. have a panel uh, on uh, gaming, uh, what we would call, but the panel itself, I've called it diversity and inclusion in gaming but the actual panel is called um I'm trying to remember the name it popped up in my head is tabletop gaming open for all 
mm-hmm. open to all. So I'm running that panel this year, and it's a, basically a discussion on a discussion panel on how we make gaming open and inclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'll be my hours hobby for the weekend. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't expect to see sight or sound of anything remotely resembling. But you know what? That's we say we we ran the first event in 2018. We were planning it for two and a half years almost before that. I knew back in 2015, 2016, I wasn't signing up for a weekend playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's is what it is. We might get to do stuff occasionally. You get the odd moment where you get five minutes talking to somebody or playing something, but it's not planned. Um, in fact, one of the, one of my jobs over the weekend is making sure that Dave eats. <laughs> Genuinely, every so often I will find him and make him go somewhere where he's not annoyed or disturbed or talk to people and make sure I've watched him eat and drink something before I let yeah. him loose again. <laughs> That's one of my jobs. Yeah. Um, you get a sort of Gretchen or Snotland to, to do that. Yeah. No, no, but the thing is, is that he won't take uh, him because primarily because the first year I threatened to punch him if he didn't do what I told him. <laughs> um, literally, because we have lots of volunteers and stuff, but it, it never ends. And it's, you know, it's not a complaint because you know what you're doing. Um, you, you, you get to the, for us, Monday afternoon after the event, you're broken. But, genuinely the first thing you do on the Tuesday and this isn't what even though we say we're not going to do it Tuesday morning you can guarantee we're back in the team chat saying right let's debrief let's get on with it what's next I'm just uh, I'm back on the website now so uh, I said at the start like the, the dates are the 27th and 28th of August, of August. which is yeah. the weekend uh, the ticket prices so it looks like um you're £13 for the Saturday or £11 for the Sunday. You get £2 off for the Sunday. Yeah, uh, so the Sunday is a shorter day. And that we reflect that in the price. So the um, because of the, not necessarily the constrictions of the, the actual venue itself, but because there does come a moment around about half past one on the Sunday afternoon where we almost die. Um, and also there's a limit to how much you can drink in the weekend, I think, because the bar will be open the entire time. Um, in order for people to have, you know, it's a Sunday, people want to go home, etc. We we cut the ticket price down for the, the Sunday a little bit, um, mainly because it's a short, it is a short day. Um, the important thing is is weekend tickets. I mean, we we very deliberately a weekend is twenty pounds for the whole weekend for an adult. And. What we've done, we've deliberately made a choice to make sure that anyone between 11 and 15, again, it's a lower price, children 10 and under, free, and family tickets are for two adults and two young adults, and any number of under 10s are free. What we've done in the past um, is we've always focused on making sure we've got access for families. So we deliberately price family tickets as low as possible, weekend tickets especially. We also have always included, like I say, you know, try to get free tickets for anyone under 10, always been, that will never change because for us, getting families through the door is such a big indicator that the hobby's growing and it's, you know, it's available for all. Um, what that means in terms of people enjoying the convention is, is that we get a huge mix Um age groups, etc. 
it's fantastic in that respect. Um, I'll bore you with the story quickly. 2019, I want to say 2019, we were standing, I was in the foyer, the entrance area, as uh, on the Sunday lunchtime. I can't remember exactly what time because I'd been working for about 72 hours straight by that point. Um, and outside the venue, we've got this big banner advertising Tabletop Scotland. And this family came in, mum, dad, couple of kids walking about and a small child in a wheelchair, not wheelchair, a um, pushchair, pram. And they were like, oh, we saw the sign, what's this? I'm like, it's Tabletop Scotland. Um, it's, you know, what it's all about. And they're like, oh, can we have a look? And I'm like, you know what? It's Sunday afternoon. I'm not even going to bother charging them any entrance fee. So I took them into the hall, showed them about, said, look, this is what it's all about. Gave them a quick, this is what it looks like. Showed them into the ice hall, showed them into the main hall. Explained it to them, said upstairs is various bits and bobs. This is lunchtime. Showed them about, let them in, added a couple of, you know, ticked the boxes to show that we'd let a couple of people in free of charge. Bad John. Bad way to run business, by the way, is just let people in for free. Um, they did their stuff and then a few hours later I was sitting back down at the foyer and um, by this point a couple of people, uh, the other event organisers had joined me and this family were leaving and they said thank you very much and they were leaving and I noticed that the dad of the family had a carrier bag and inside the carrier bag was uh, a Dungeons and Dragons starter box a monster manual a DM's guide and a player's book alongside a couple of boxes worth of dice, you know, different dice for things, um, a dice tray, and I'm like, what you got? So, and effectively what happened was they'd gone upstairs, seen the role-playing thing, and their daughter, who I think would have been 10, 11, um, oh, want to try it, because she'd seen it on Stranger Things, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was an open space at a table. She sat down, and three hours later, dad walks out, having spent about £100 worth on D&D stuff, so his his kid could play D&D. And yeah. nobody in the family had ever looked at a board game or role-playing game before that point in time. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, you have been sucked in for a life of pain, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you sa- saved, yeah. saved on money very briefly. And then <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> like, you're not having to pay to come in, but you're definitely going to pay to get out. Aye, for the um, rest of your that life. That was it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. and it was also, and he and this they'd walked in and there were other people there. I mean, um, the Harbour Family Zone. There was a period in 2019 where I was manning that. I had to go and look after it for a couple of hours, um, because one of our volunteers was away doing something else, and a family came in to play one of the games, and I forgot what the game's called. But you have to balance different animals on top of each other. Um, so I was playing this game, showing how to. I read the rules and talked them through how to play it. I was playing this with this family and then I saw them again a couple of hours later and they'd been to one of the retailers that we have um, at the event and actually bought not just that game but another couple of games. Um, And they were all little family games. They weren't big games. They hadn't plunged a couple hundred quid on playing a, a Space Marine Army for 40k or you know, suddenly it turned out that they actually wanted to buy a, a, a dedicated gaming table for two grand from one of our other exhibitors. They just bought a handful of small family games 
And I was like, that's what it's all about. Making sure that people have got the opportunity to do that, find something they're going to enjoy. And then if they come back, fantastic. Massive thanks to John there. And remember to check out tabletopscotland.co.uk for all the info about the event. Give me a wee shout if you're going to and we'll get a pint sorted. So two last things before we head out the door. Number one, I'd held back on doing this until now, but I'm going to experiment with running a Discord channel for the podcast. I must admit it's not something I've used a lot so far, but I did at least want to give it a wee shot and see what happens. So you could find that at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash Discord. I also want to thank Peter who got in touch and suggested some music at the beginning and end of the episodes. I know that this could help to identify a particular show if you've got a big playlist of multiple podcasts in it, so I'm more than happy to give that a wee try. I've just always been hesitant to use music in the past as some podcasters really do kick the arse out and make you sit through entire minutes of the stuff. Anyway, there you go. Solid wee bit of housekeeping. Remember, bedroombattlefields.com forward slash discord. And of course, some lovely new music for the show. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch up again on the next episode.